Well, good morning, church. Welcome back to Agape Community Church. Welcome back to the family. Welcome back to our Sunday morning celebration service. <sighs> we just, I know we have done that already. We just turn around to somebody, give him a slap. I mean, give him a high five or something like that. Or oh, someone really actually slapped somebody. <laughs> you literally did that or you're just, I know you're just teasing that person next to you. Oh, God. Now, we had... Two amazing days on last Monday and Tuesday over our Global Leadership Summit. Some 650 people in attendance here. And we just had two amazing days of like-minded leaders coming together and sharing stories and allowing God to speak into our hearts, giving us some leadership tools. At the same time, having God moments where we can connect with Him. Uh, our worship, did, uh, worship team did extremely well. Uh, we have two dancers, the choir sung, you know, the volunteers, oh my goodness, you did it again, you did it again. Uh, everyone that came here said, no, how do you mobilize all of these volunteers and they serve with a sense of excellence and they serve with a smile and, and they were willing to go the second mile, the third mile, and just to make people feel welcome. This is agape hospitality, certainly it is, you no? Know? And so thank you everyone who had a hand in uh, the Global Leadership Summit and we had a great time together. Now, uh, many, many years ago, uh, a young man studying in, at Cambridge University uh, received his call to full-time ministry. And that was about 40 years ago. And that call changed the trajectory of his life. And in 1969, I moved to not just uh, be in Taiwan, but lived in Taiwan. Uh, Reverend Ross Patterson is the founder of Antioch Missions, a Chinese church support ministry. Yes, you heard it right. It's Chinese church support ministry. All right? Uh, he is white on the outside. He's a bit banana in the inside, you know, and uh, he speaks fluent Mandarin. So we like to hear him in Mandarin this morning, Christian Mandarin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Tamil friends, Indian-speaking friends, they say, no, no, no. And uh, last night he was in a Chinese service and uh, he spoke in Mandarin, brought the message across in, in an amazing way. Uh, I, I cannot, resist, cannot resist to tell this story. Uh, we were having dinner on Friday night and so as we were making our orders, a young Chinese lady came and took our orders uh, and then I think uh, uh, Brother Ross was the first to order and then he, he did order, point out to the picture, mentioned the name, uh, he spoke in English and then he gave some details, and that Chinese girl couldn't quite understand him because she must understand Brother Ross speaks fluent Mandarin, but he's not so good in English. <laughs> and so uh, he turned to me, explained to me, and I explained to her, and, and she still didn't quite get it. And then finally I said, hey, Brother Ross, you speak in Mandarin, right? Why don't you talk to her in Mandarin? And as he did, all of a sudden, the waitress' face lit up, you know, light up, and she was so happy, there was a smile on her face, and... When the order came, it was exactly as he wanted it. Amazing, just amazing. Now, uh, he's the founder of uh, the Antioch Missions uh, Church Support Ministry, and I look at it at three Ps there. Uh, one, this uh, Antioch Missions encourages uh, Christians all over the world to pray you know, for China. 
Then there's also the idea of print. They also uh, produce, they print and also distribute literatures over China. And then the other idea is the, the idea of the partnership where they organize short-term mission trips and work with professionals to go in you know, and then uh, uh, just do the work of God in terms of uh, humanitarian initiatives, uh, encouraging Christians to witness uh, to scholars living all around uh, the world. Uh, Brother Ross travels extensively uh, with speaking opportunities in Asia, Europe, Australia, USA, and he's written a number of books and there's a book counter outside there, which you can actually pick up his books. Uh, some, I read someone said that uh, what would change you in the next five years uh, is, is these two elements, the people you meet and the books you read. The people you meet and the books you read. And I trust that you will support this ministry, get hold of a book, and uh, be a blessing. Now, before I introduce Brother Ross to come, I also want to introduce a few other people. One is Dr. Roland Wong, who is seated there. Uh, he stays in Ramban, attends FGA in KL, but every time when he doesn't go up to KL, he comes and worships with us, and usually he sits where Ellen is sitting there, all right? And he, he calls this his second home, so to speak. Uh, he is on the uh, board of directors of uh, Antioch Missions, and it's through his kind office that we have the opportunity to have Brother Ross and his wife uh, to be with us. Uh, we also have uh, Anne Koo. Anne, I thought I saw Anne. Oh, yeah, Anne is here. Okay, she uh, runs the office of Antioch Missions here in Kuala Lumpur. And so, to, Anne, welcome to Agape Community Church. And then, of course, uh, we also have Christine, uh, Ross's wife. God bless you, Christine. She has got five daughters, five granddaughters. Someone beat you to eat, Dr. Lionel, you know, and one grandson. Uh, she is not, a third gen not just a third-generation Christian, a third-generation missionary. Can you believe that? Such a rich heritage. So, welcome, Christine. Uh, and so, without any further ado, it's our joy and privilege to have uh, Dr. Ross Patterson. If you're not a doctor, I've just conferred that title to you. So it's okay. Everything is possible with God, and especially here in Agape. And so let's welcome Ross Patterson. Very good for your age, making up the stairs. God bless you. <laughs> uh, the introduction was wrong. Eden <laughs> Dobudui. You can't use his name in Chinese because the word Ben means something um, completely different from our dear brother. Uh, we actually have five daughters and six granddaughters and one grandson. It was... Uh, we had three daughters many years ago, and we thought, why don't we balance it? And we didn't understand the package. The package was buy four and get one free. <laughs> so the last two were twins. <laughs> and then our beloved daughters started producing many years later, and uh, they uh, produced girl, 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 boy. 
girl. <laughs> it's good to be with you. And really what I want to talk about, if we could have my PowerPoint, because I always say the PowerPoint is much prettier than I am. Um, but before I get going, let's ask Sister Anne to come up very briefly and share. Anne uh, leads Antioch Missions here in Malaysia. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here, right, in the house of God. Amen. Yeah, this morning, as you have, as you have known, I've come from Penang, yeah, and I speak Hokkien. I don't speak Mandarin, though. Yeah. This morning, I've come to encourage each and every one of you to be part of our work. Our work is in China. And China, with 1.4 billion, needs you. China needs your prayers. And today, I have brought with me the prayer, our prayer letters. And I encourage each and every one of you to come to the table, to leave your address or your email address so that you can, we can send a copy of the prayer letters that we send out each month. If you say you do not know how to pray, the prayer points are there. And you can pray for China. Number two, I would encourage each and every one of you to join us in our short-term trips. We are launching in April next year a prayer on-site in China. The door is open. I have just come back from China. And I cannot speak Mandarin. So you will be wondering, can we go if we cannot speak Mandarin? Yes, you can. Join us. And we will take you to pray on-site. This door is open. We are Malaysian, we are Chinese, and we can go. And thirdly, I will also ask that you can also join us in prayer. We have a premise that is in PJ. I travel all the way from Penang to this prayer altar, to set up this prayer altar. And this prayer altar has been set up two years ago. And I travel every month. On third Sunday, and the prayer starts at 2. It is at SSMC Church at Kayuara. So come and join us to pray for China. As you have heard, there are many news of persecution in China. Many could not come together like you to worship the Lord like you do. And today, God has opened a new door where the believers of China can hear the word of God even though they do not congregate together. The door is open, the door, and the Lord has opened this new door where we can produce SD card. Each SD card costs 24 ringgit, and we target 1 million of this SD card. I would encourage each and every one of you to come to the table to help the believers to hear the word of God. They are given freely to the believers or non-believers if they choose to hear the word of God. As you know, China has telephone, uh, handphones and they can just put it into their phone in the second SIM card and they can hear the word of God. So without much ado, I pass this mic to Pastor Rob, Ross. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for all you do. Okay, uh, I want to discuss with you a topic this morning which is incredibly important to us. 
In, in Antioch, we have a vision, ordinary people making a difference. Ordinary people making a difference. But it is manifestly obvious that though <clears throat> we're all ordinary people, not all of us make a difference, right? Some, their lives seem to really make an impact on other lives for Jesus. Some don't. And one of my personal quests is to look at the Bible and find out how do I make my life make a difference? So I'm going to look at four people in the Bible and try and analyze this question. Number one is Paul. Paul is the all-in-one bundle. In other words, I'm going to look at four things that need to take place in our lives. Some of us, like Paul, it's one massive encounter with God that kind of sorts the whole package out. Some of us, more like me, it takes time over a process of years. So, number one is Paul. Let, let's look at him. Acts 9. You know, Paul, at the beginning of Acts 9, he was going to arrest, to persecute, even to kill Christians, put them in chains, and so on. And it says in Acts 9.3, as he was approaching Jerusalem on this mission, a light from heaven shone around him, down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let me just observe, Jesus didn't need to ask him why. We understand that. I mean, he knew. The point of the question was for Paul. Stop where you are and consider the way you're going. So, Paul did, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So the first step is the who. Is the who. That is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I assume this morning, if you got out of bed early to be here, you have that personal relationship. I can be absolutely confident that our worship team, they did a great job, didn't they? Because they actually worshipped not performed. And that's uh, Now, the first is who? I don't know how you came to Jesus. I, it might surprise you, I'm uh, British. You can call me British. You cannot call me English because I'm Scottish. Uh, and especially after the rugby yesterday, if you know what happened, I'm Scottish, not English. It's actually great that South Africa won from one point of view, because you know their captain uh, was born in a, of unmarried parents, brought up by his grandmother on a floor, sleeping on cushions on the floor, very poor background. Some coach saw him playing rugby and gave him a place in a private school. And now he's captain, the first black captain ever to raise that cup, he's captain of New Zealand. Anyway, uh, law swore, let's not go that route. Uh, but my, my parents were not believers. Uh, my Latin teacher, when I was in middle school, witnessed to me about Jesus, took me to a scripture union camp, and led me to faith in Jesus Christ. Up to that point, church was the one place in the world you did not want to be because it was so boring. After that point, church was my family. Church was meeting with God's people wherever they are, 
is family. Why? Because I had met Jesus and he was my personal savior. I trust that so for all of us this morning. So the second thing, when we've got the who in place, is the what. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he was told, stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you want to do. Now again, each of us has a what in our lives. But let me emphasize that what sometimes is progressive. Uh, sometimes, like me, God suddenly speaks and tells you the what for the whole of your life. Sometimes it's progressive. For some of you mums, your what at the moment is significantly your children and, your da and da you dads as well. Christine brought up five girls, did a great job. Now she's very involved in what we call member care, uh, looking after particularly mainland Chinese missionaries. You know that China is sending hundreds of people out, most of them untrained. So there's a significant factor which we call 90-90. 90% are returning home within 90 days. Why? Because they haven't been trained. They don't know about member care. So Christine now, her what, after years of caring for the children, which she still does, and grandchildren, and so do I, but her what is in that area. So, you know, if you say, I don't know what my what is, what God is calling me to do, that's okay. God will tell you in his time. Be faithful in what you're doing now. Then how? How are you going to do what God has called you to do? The answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. God sent Ananias that you may see again, because Paul was temporarily blind, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God fills us with his Holy Spirit, empowers us to do what he's called us to do. And again, if I can say something, sometimes the order is the other way around. Sometimes he fills with the Holy Spirit and then calls us. Sometimes he calls us and then fills us with the Holy Spirit. Because if you have heard God's call, God's significant call on your life, you know perfectly well you can't do it. You absolutely cannot do it by yourself. But there's one more thing that is really, really important to me. How many believers do you know, even in this church, how many believers do you know that once ran really, really well? and now are nowhere, including in the States and in England, I guess in Malaysia, significant men and women of God who just fell into sin and disappeared. So what I find is there's a who, there's a what, there's a how. There's the relationship with Jesus, there's the uh, calling on our lives, there's God's power through his Holy Spirit. But there is this. The last verse of Acts says this, Paul lived there two whole years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with complete boldness and without restriction. That's curious because it doesn't tell us what happened to Paul. We think we know, but it doesn't tell us. Why? Because God says, I'm not interested in history. I'm interested in giving you a model that you can follow, which is that Paul, even to the end of his life, was faithful to Jesus. And our passion is 
not just that the who and the what and the how should be clear, but we should walk that way all the days of our life until we go to be with Jesus until he comes back. Now, what I'm saying, dear ones, is for Paul, this was an all-in-one package. It was a three-day trip. At the end of three days, his life was completely changed, and he walked that way to the end of his life. For some of us, that isn't so. It's progressive. But what I'm saying passionately is God has a purpose for each of our lives. God wants to use each of us. You think, well, here we have Pastor Ben. I mean, he's been doing this for 31 years in this church, so we expect God to use him. But me, I just sit at the back, and um, uh, uh, which I often do, actually. Uh, sit at the back. I don't really expect anything to happen. The point of the scriptures is to show us that God wants to use each of us. If, if you know anything about the church in China, the church in China has grown significantly through very, very ordinary people. I, I once met a guy in central China, and this is what they said. He and his team are responsible for 10 million believers. Now, you would expect him to be a kind of, I don't know, sort of awesome character, amazing character. Actually, if they hadn't told me that, I would never have known it. It wasn't like he was some superman, he was some dripping with the Holy Spirit guy. He was actually a, a very ordinary guy. And, and that's why the church in China has grown. I, I, I met another guy. He said, many, many, many years ago, my family and I were living in the countryside. This would be 1960s, 70s. We're living in the countryside and uh, we weren't believers. Uh, we're all sick. And then this evangelist comes to our village, preaches the gospel, prays for us, and we all got healed. And he said, so we started a church in the village. And he said, one day I was in the fields and the Gongan, the security police, came and raided the church. I happened to be in the fields, so I just went to the next village and did the same again. And there he was 20 years later, still doing the same thing. Again, just a regular guy. I met him when his daughter was getting married. I said, you know, it would be good if you, her dad, said something at the wedding. And his basic reaction was, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Just a regular fellow. Another guy that I met who was a real superhero. He had to escape to the States. I flew into Chicago to see him. And Chicago, if you know this, is very cold in winter. And he, he, he just never arrived. And it was days before cell phones, so I'm really struggling. And eventually his wife appeared. And his wife says, now this is a guy with a tremendous record of service for the Lord. And actually at that time imprisonment for the Lord. His wife says um, he can't find how to get to this terminal, so he's driving round and round. Now, our picture would be man of God, obviously just asked the Holy Spirit and zoom, here he comes to the terminal. Well, eventually he got to the terminal. We got in the car. Within two miles, he said to me, I don't know how to go home. So we had to go to a gas station. And I translated for him and said, could you help this guy find his way home? Now, our picture is a man that God has used incredibly in China. He would be able just to ask the Holy Spirit, doesn't need a sat-nav, anything. Now, these are ordinary people 
who put their lives in God's hands, just as Paul did. Okay, let's look at another example, Peter. Peter, I suspect, is like many of us because he got his who. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Actually, every time I bump into that table, I think I forgot to advertise my book, which is on sale at the table. Thank you, Pastor. No, no, I'll get it. I'm not that old. <laughs> Go away. Whoa. I bumped into, we were at a conference with Chinese missionaries the other day. I bumped into one of the young girl missionaries and she said, don't bump into old people. I turned to her and said, old people, are you talking about me? <laughs> this book, Antioch Factor, we were having a meal last night and they produced a dish and said, this is the chef's special of this restaurant. This is my chef's special. This is my life's message. It's called the Antioch Factor. Um, it's comparing the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch. Why was Paul sent out from Antioch, not from Jerusalem? If you don't know the answer to that, you'll find it here. Normally, 25 ringgit today, while you're in the building, 20. But the deal's off the table the moment you leave the building. Now, I'm Scottish, and for a Scotsman to give that kind of a deal is incredibly painful. So, so Peter, he finds the who. But you say, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. And then he finds the what? John 21, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, having denied Jesus, Jesus, before he denied him, said, when you are restored, when you're recovered, strengthen the brethren. And here Jesus repeats the call. Not the same as Paul, because two calls aren't the same. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Peter, John 21, surrenders to Jesus Acts 2, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then, at the end, towards the end of his life, writing in 1 Peter, it is reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. For Peter, the who, the what, the how was spread over two or three years. Some of us longer. Some of us longer, some of us shorter, some of us are Paul's, some of us are Peter's. Now, I, I want to look at a different passage. I want to look at Acts chapter 15. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Luke chapter 15. Because I want to look at two brothers in Jesus' story who very much represent the two kinds of people who might be in this building. One of them... I would think not many, but could be there. The first is the, older, the younger brother. The second is the older brother. One, the younger brother, if you know the parable of the um, prodigal son, we'll look at it in a minute. Actually, it's the parable of the scandalous father. I'll explain that in a minute. One is lost in loose living, selfishness, and rebellion to the point where he brings shame and humiliation on his father and family. 
The other is lost, not in wild living, but in pride, anger, and self-righteousness. So one is outside the house, one is inside the house, but both, in a way, are lost. Neither is really connected with his father. The younger son represents those who've never come to Christ. The older son, and this is really my target today, is believers who've never taken Jesus as Lord, who've never done a transaction with Jesus to say, I want to put my life in your hands. So let's look at them quickly. The younger son, I'm not going to spend time on him, but I found this interesting uh, reading this the other day. Jewish families at the time, if the son did what he did, which is left home, despised his father, said, I, I just want my money and I'm out of here, they had a ceremony of shame known in Hebrew as, uh, I'll take a guess at that, Kezak. How do you pronounce that? Kezaka or something. But what they did was they broke a vessel which symbolized this son was shameful. This son was lost to the village, to his family. They never wanted him back. So the first thing is repentance, isn't it? He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned. All of us I guess know that, that when we first encountered the work of the Holy Spirit, we realized we weren't that good at all. Even those of us who, when they were young, were a little bit scared to do bad things, when God shines his light, you know you have sin. So he said, I'm going to repent. But something much more important, he said, came to his senses, how many of my father's hard workers have food enough to spare, but I'm dying from hunger. What he said, and this is incredibly important, is I'd rather be in dad's place than anywhere else. You remember, he said, I'm out of here, I'm gone. Now he says, I don't care if I have to be a slave in my father's house. I don't care what I am, I just want to be in my father's house. Now, let me say this carefully. I don't think you can totally call yourself a Christian unless that's so in your heart. Because really, that's what we're singing about, isn't it? We're singing about wanting to be in Dad's presence. We're singing about wanting to know him better. We're singing about, Lord, reveal yourself to me more. If that isn't in my heart... I think the Holy Spirit needs to do another work. I think the Holy Spirit needs to do another work. And that work is saying, not only physical church, but actually my center of being is my Heavenly Father. Nothing else matters like He does. And that's what the Son did. The scandal is the Father. Let me very quickly say this, and a lot of you will understand the context in which I'm talking. There was an American family who adopted a girl of a certain religion from China. And she came to live in their family. She was about, I don't know, 12, 15 years of age or something. And they took her to church. Now, her background was totally, totally different. And the preacher preached on this story saying how wonderful the father was 
because there's something we need to understand, that if the son had walked back to the house, he would have had to be a slave because of the ceremony that they'd had rejecting him. Because the father went and got him, the father could bring him back as his son. I mean, it's ridiculous, unless we understand grace. Anyway, this girl heard this story, and she was angry. You know what she said? The only one in the story who did the right thing is the elder son. The younger son brought shame to the family. The father brought shame to the family by taking him back. The only one who was right was the elder son. That's what you say if you don't understand grace. That's what you say if you don't understand the cross. Then it's simple. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. So the three simple statements. Father is the goal, relationship with him. Number two, Jesus is the way. Number three, there is no other. It's exclusive. The cross makes that clear. Only Jesus can say. Very, very quickly a story. And I, you know, gina, gina, uh, need to be quicker. When I first went to Taiwan in 1969, that is 50 years ago, if you mathematics is good. After three years, I went back to England because uh, my parents weren't believers and I needed to spend a bit of time with them, just a couple of months. And they arranged for me to preach in the local church. Now, I need to say the local church was not like this church. Uh, there was sometimes not much sign of a real relationship with Jesus. So I thought, what I'm going to do is preach on how to be born again. Because most people probably didn't know that, even though it was a church. And the pastor, who later became a bishop, he said to me, oh, very interesting, platonic thought, I think. I have no idea what he was talking about, but I assume he didn't have any idea what he was talking about either. So they said, why don't you come and speak tomorrow night? Because we're having a team meeting. So I did the same thing. I preached on how to be born again. Now, during the team meeting, it was very different from what happens in this church. There was one lady who seemed to do all the work, need to write to this person, need to call this person, need to do this, need to do that. Uh, you do it, Mabel. You do it, Mabel. You do it, Mabel. So she's the kind of busy, busy, busy worker, right? Well, when I preached on how to be born again, Mabel went ballistic. Mabel launched at me. You arrogant young man. How can you? Dare you? Dare you say that kind of thing to us? And I'm thinking, whoa, hold it, Mabel. And I phoned a friend who is a very godly pastor. I said, do you know what just happened to me? That was really difficult. Do you know what he said? He said this. He said, Ross, if there is a pack of dogs making a noise and you need to get rid of them and you pick up a stone and you throw it at them to get rid of them, which dog makes the most noise? I thought, well, the one that's hit by the stone. He said, now you understand why Mabel made so much noise. Because Mabel had no relationship with Jesus. Mabel was a worker, was a I do this, that, and the other, but she'd never met Jesus personally. What's the problem with the older son? Uh, it, it reads much better in Chinese. He's, he's in the field, he came and approached the house, 
never left home, seems to be a really good Mabel, right? Seems to be working in the field every day, guai guai da. Then the father said to him, son, you're always with me and everything belongs, that belongs to me is yours. In the Chinese, it says this, li jia bu yuan, bu ken jin chu. Not far from the house, not willing to go in. That's lovely, isn't it? You know, Chinese has four character phrases. These are two very interesting phrases. In other words, he, to me, symbolizes someone who's in the church, but his heart and dad's heart are not the same. Uh, let me illustrate. He says, you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Kubukananga. The father who ran across to greet the younger son who'd wasted half of his estate, or some people say a third of his estate, in stupid living, sinful living. The father who put the best robe on him through a mighty feast to outdo any Chinese banquet and also put shoes on his feet. You understand, sons had shoes on their feet, slaves had bare feet. The father did that for the son. How could he possibly say, you never gave me? Secondly, so I could celebrate with my friends. You see what he's saying? Actually, Dad, my real center of existence isn't the family. It's my friends out there. So he's never left home. But his heart has never been joined to his father. He didn't know his father, though he lived in the same house, and his home was not with his father, it was outside. It is possible to be in church and to be like that. Because we've never really surrendered our lives. See, you remember old Peter? We, t we looked at Peter first. I want to go back to this place. Jesus, at a critical point, he's, uh, Peter's denied Jesus. Peter's risen, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. You remember... They're fishing, and suddenly John says, that's the master. Peter rushes to him because he's got guilt in his heart. And Jesus says something very interesting. Three times he says, do you love me? But the first time he says, do you love me more than these? That is a Christian some of, uh, question some of us really, really need to face because it has three meanings. Do you love me more than you love the other disciples? In other words, is... Is your center of being church because it's a nice place, which it is. I, I'm renaming this church the Church of the Heavenly Smile because so many of you have lovely smiles, including these two. But it's possible to be in church because it's a nice place to be. There's nothing wrong in that. It just isn't the package. Is the center Jesus? Is the center Jesus? Do we love him even more? So if he said, I want you to go to northwest China and be a missionary, would we say impossible? How could I leave the church? I wouldn't know what to do. Secondly, do you love me more than these people love me? These disciples. In other words, sometimes we jog along at the pace of the other people in the church. But Jesus says, don't do that. Love me more than the others love me. Love me with a passionate, unqualified love. 
a surrendered love? And thirdly, do you love me more than you love your work? They were fishing. Love me more than these, these boats, these nets, these things. Do we, it, which comes first? Work or Jesus? I guess there are probably one or two here that should be walking a different way, but you don't because you won't give up the security of your work. Please don't do that because you know what? You'll miss your call in God if you do that. Now, there is a contract. This is where I'm headed. There is a contract that Paul gives here, and I love this contract. Don't worry, I'm almost done. The pain will end shortly. There, there is a contract that, that Paul describes. And this verse also has two different meanings. In the Chinese, it, it's in the middle of the verse, there's a bracket explaining the other meaning. Here it is. Because of this, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed because I know the one in whom my faith is set, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. In other words, if I jump, if I say, Lord, I just surrender the whole package to you. He says, you do that, and I guarantee to keep you. Guys, I walked out of Cambridge University more than 50 years ago and went to a church and lived by faith. My parents were absolutely horrified. It was November 1967. And my mum said, son, you can come back at Christmas and we'll help you start again. What she meant was do something sensible with your life. Of course I went home, but I never went home to start again. Because God says you put it in his hands and he keeps it. But then there's another meaning. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know what, whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Could I ask you, precious ones, as I close, what have you committed to him? There was a point in my life at Cambridge where God said, my son Jesus is your savior, he's just not your Lord. And that was a big battle. But when I said, Lord, you be Lord as well as savior, that's only then when God's call on my life came, came into view. See, there are unanswered questions. What happened after the welcome home party? It doesn't tell us. Was the prodigal son genuinely repentant or did he relapse? Was he permanently grateful for what his dad had done? How did he get on with his elder brother? Most important, did the older brother go on sulking? If you read the story, in the last verse, the father says, Son, all that I have is yours, and I'm always with, always with you. What else does God say to us? All that I have is yours, and I'm always with you. Full stop, next chapter. It doesn't tell us if the son went into the house or not. Not far from the house, not willing to go in. Did he stay that way? Do you know why it doesn't tell us? Because the question is addressed to you and me. The question of whether I will really lay down my life and say, Jesus. I mean, you worship team had us surrendering. But surrendering means I put the whole bang shoot in God's hand. 
and say, Lord, you have it. Because you are a better boss, a better Lord, a better father than any could possibly be. Final verse. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let me ask you one final question. Do you know the fear of God? You say, what do you mean? The fear of God isn't help. Dad's going to hit me. Help. If I do wrong, he's going to smite me. The fear of God is this. Everything I have is his. When I look at my life, it's absurd that God has been as kind as he has been to give me this wife, five precious daughters, umpteen granddaughters and one grandson, uh, ministry that has affected millions of lives. That wasn't me. You understand that? It's when I gave my life to God, he said, this is what I want you to do. The fear of God means, Dad, I just don't want to offend you and lose anything of what you give. Don't want to lose your presence like King David did. The fear of God means everything I have is of you. And I want to suggest that the fear of God is a rare commodity in today's church. Of course, not this church, you're perfect. But in, in, in other churches, the fear of God means I don't want to sin because I'm not going to presume that God would say, it doesn't matter. There's a real danger in my daddy in the sky who's too far away and too old to really care. No, no, no. God is a holy God. So again, I will bless those. God says this. I'll bless those who have a humble and contrite heart who tremble at my word. You want the blessing of God? Have a humble and contrite heart that says, Lord, I give it all to you. And who tremble at my word whose moral values, life view, is defined by the Bible, not by our newspapers or by the latest kinky how-to-be-successful book. It's defined by the Word of God. Enough. Dear ones, there is a step when Jesus says to me, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything? And it's a terrifying step. But when I do that, when I make that move and say, Lord, have it all, honestly, that's when life really begins. It began then for Paul. It began for Peter. It begins for us. Let's pray together. Uh, Pastor Ben, would you come up, please? Or whoever's in charge here, apart from the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord. We want to walk in the love and fear of God. We want to know that everything I have is yours. Paul, who says, I labored more abundantly than them all, but not I, but the grace of God within me. We don't want to lose that, Lord. So help us. I, I just want to say, I don't know what your practice is, so I'm handing over to Pastor Ben, but... I just sense one or two. You've been in church a while maybe. You've, you've known the Lord. But this is a time in your life, not just today, but over this period when the Holy Spirit is stirring. And the Holy Spirit's saying, as he said to me those many years ago, I want all of you. 
not just the salvation bit. I want every part of you. The Holy Spirit says, would you put, trust me, trust me, put your hands in Jesus' hands as Lord and say, not my will, but yours be done. I feel there are some amongst us, and I don't know how you want to respond, but I'll hand over to Pastor Ben. Thank you, Pastor. 